0: This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald.
1: I'm Ramia Amadin and this is Kelly and Ramia.
2: Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramia. Entertainment, lifestyle and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community and everyone's invited.
1: It's finally the end of the week. Now, we've had a lot going on at AMI this week, so I think everybody, it's fair to say, has been doing their best to make it to Friday. And it's not even just that it was, you know, busy and hard and rough of a week. No, not at all, actually. The complete opposite. It's been social and fun and lots of people around, and some of those lots of people is grant hardy grant hardy was in toronto for a couple of days you're back in vancouver and then you get tossed into co-hosting with me on a friday grant how's it going
3: it's going good it's been a great week it's just absolutely flown by uh and now looking forward to heading into the weekend a little maybe a little more peaceful but as Ah, you said it was a fantastic
1: week (laughs) yeah it has been and uh kelly is taking today off to do some other things or maybe he's just like you know yesterday felt so much like friday that i'm just gonna have to take actual friday off exactly speaking of relaxing do you have an idea of what good relaxation is for you do you have like routines and things that you go to to i don't know put yourself in a relaxing mood or when you're feeling relaxed you're like this is what i love doing yeah, I'm trying to think how to
3: answer this. And I think it really depends on whether it's sort of like, oh, it's Tuesday night, I'm trying to wind down, or whether it's relaxing, mm. like de-stressing. But I think for me, the the most universal relaxing thing that I do is listen to music.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
3: And um, in the summertime, it's all things outdoors for me, like going for walks or chilling on my patio with a, with a beverage. But music is kind of that all-year round relaxing
1: thing do you have relaxing playlists i definitely can attest to the music one as well and i have three playlists that i kind of rotate in for when i'm already in a relaxed mood sometimes oh that's smart i Mm.
3: think that my music kind of mirrors my mood like if it's a stressful day or if there's like something in particular i'm trying to relax and not think about i might play I don't know, more emotionally intense or, or <laughs> yeah, angry or sad Stay songs. Or if it's just been, yeah, <laughs> or if it's if it's just been a a good old day and I'm winding down, I'll just listen to my favorites yeah. playlist. Yes,
1: yes. Well, the, you mentioned the balcony, and I enjoy the balcony, but also in my home, my couch is the relaxation spot because I, first of all, uh, only have one couch. But you know, I used to just spend so much time in my room in my bedroom, in my bed when I was relaxed, and now I decided that I think I'm going to switch it up a little. In the last year, I kind of like hanging out on my couch with my dog and my music. There you go. go. Let's see what we have coming up on our regular Friday show. I say regular because we have our regular contributors joining us. Um, App Update with John Beeler. One of the conversation topics is Meta's latest AI suite. It makes speech translation more seamless and expressive.
3: One of the greatest athletes this country has ever seen retired earlier this week, Brock Richardson, tells us about Christine Sinclair and the mark she's made on soccer in Canada.
1: Also on the Chatty Bookshelf, if you're looking for the perfect gift for the book lover in your life, Ryan Huey is going to keep us posted with some recommendations. Um, I know it's a Friday. We usually try to stick to some fun topics. This isn't fun, <laughs> but it is interesting and Kind of scary. Uh, The U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention says chronic fatigue is more common than some past studies have reported. 3.3
4: million. That's the estimate of how many adults in the United States have chronic fatigue syndrome. According to the new CDC report, that figure is extrapolated from the number of people reporting a diagnosis in a survey of 57,000 Americans taken in the past two years. CDC officials say the tally likely includes some patients with long COVID who are suffering from prolonged exhaustion. The syndrome was more common for women and in white people compared with other groups, but the gap was much smaller than some previous studies had found. Report co author Dr. Elizabeth Unger says it means the condition is clearly not a rare illness. Dr. Daniel Claw heads a chronic fatigue research team at the University of Michigan. He believes only a fraction of the people with the syndrome are diagnosed. Chronic fatigue has no cure, no drugs approved for it, and no blood test or scan to enable a quick diagnosis. Doctors haven't been able to pinpoint a cause, although research suggests it results from the body's prolonged overreaction to an infection. I'm Jennifer King.
1: Now it's Interesting to me that, uh, you know, COVID and long COVID was mentioned here and now we can talk about chronic fatigue as kind of a more um, known aspect of these illnesses and conditions that come up. But it is not, of course, the first time chronic fatigue would come up for people personally. And there's actually, you know, a a decent amount of the population that live with chronic fatigue if you have uh, conditions like... um, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but uh, I think fibromyalgia myalgia or yeah. other kind of conditions, right, where people live with these things day in, day out. And we're not even talking like as you get older, we're talking people who've gone to uh, got into accidents and other things like that, Grant. But now, again, like with a lot of other things, I'm thinking specifically in the uh, employment sector, but we're bringing it up more because COVID has opened up the conversation,
3: well, that's it. It's opened it up for everyone, but there's so many of these con- conditions that have existed for years that yep. we haven't really acknowledged. But the thing is that society kind of puts you into a box. There's no way you can be like, oh, you know what? A different schedule would work for me better. Like if you want to function in society, you kind of have to stick to your specific times for going to sleep, getting up, whatever, even if you're dealing with these other conditions. So th- that's got to be really tough for people who are dealing with chronic pain and other conditions like that.
1: Absolutely. And not to mention, you know, the medical gaslighting and all these other things, right? And people not even uh, getting the acknowledgement of chronic pain, let alone, you know, trying to explain these are the kinds of circumstances that I go through and these are the accommodations that I need. It's like step by step by step. And that first step is to first of all be like, yeah, this is a thing. A lot of people experience it. Taking a break, coming back with gardening. Susan Kearney has made her annual outdoor arrangement, maybe also her indoor arrangement. But because of that, we're going to talk about the different types of pines, something that she uses in her arrangements. Grant and I will be right back on Kelly and Ramya.
2: Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back.
1: strange is going on with my spotify experience lately grant we talking about music earlier so i'm bringing this up i go into a playlist right and i'm listening to my playlist and i put it on this new smart shuffle function which i don't really know i assume it's like normal shuffle but they just put the word smart in front of it maybe that's not the case though because now i think that they're bringing up songs that aren't actually in my playlist and just like uh weaving it in with existing songs from my playlist do you happen think, to know anything more about this?
3: I think you might be right. I'm not a Spotify person. I'm an Apple music, music? person. Okay. But I think that's correct that they do try and sort of weave in other songs for you to, to discover. I don't know exactly how, but it's it's funny because a lot of people point out that all these little like, oh, your year wrapped up. This is These are your stats for mm. the year. Like It kind of goes to show just how much data these companies collect on you. So it's not a surprise that it's like, okay, how can we keep Ramiya on this platform (laughs) even longer? Let's try and find some other songs to hook her with. Yeah. She's
1: been listening to the same five songs for the last month. Like she needs to expand a little, not that they care about my personal music taste, but you're right. Uh, And also there are these minute changes that take place in the, on these platforms that sometimes you don't even notice like what has shifted until way later and you're like wait has this been happening the whole time i had no idea like a spotify dj has apple music come up with a dj yet
3: uh apple music has radio i'm not sort of up on my spotify terminology
1: Um, dj is like an actual dj he comes on uh, in the ai voice of the dj dj x Ooh, that's cool Mm -hmm. yeah we don't
3: have we don't have anything like that but Mm -hmm. maybe you will have to check it out or the 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 crazy thing where Uh, these, the stuff is all temporary. So one time you might go to your playlist, you try and play a song and, oh, it's no longer available on this platform.
1: Oh God. Oh crap. That doesn't happen. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of throwbacks and such that I, I keep in touch with because of streaming and not other ways to listen. Sure. Exactly. All right, Grant, let's get to gardening. We do this on Fridays with our friend, Susan Kearney.
5: Hello i'm susan kearney join me on kelly and Remya for the joy of gardening by using
1: touch taste scent and sound susan we love talking gardening with you right before the weekend and you've been quite busy of course it's the festive time of year so we're talking about your uh, outdoor arrangement which i think that you've already completed and through that, the different types of pines that you've been using for the outdoor arrangement. Is that
5: right? hmm yes. And, and um, the, this particular one is actually um, in my porch, uh, so it, it, it isn't totally outdoors. It's, it's cold out there, but it's not, it's not outdoors. It doesn't get um, any rain or snow on it. And um, I do have an outdoor one, and yesterday it snowed, Oh. And uh, a little yeah. bit of snow, I, <laughs> a tease, because then it all melted. And by the time I went to go and get the picture taken of it, um, the out, actual outdoor one, there wasn't any snow left. And uh, it looked better when it was out in the snow. But we'll start with the one that's in the in the, in the veranda. Um because it's it um, I enjoy doing these. I didn't choose all of my own greens this year. I actually had someone pick some of them up for me. I just told them what I wanted, and uh, they got what they could. We um, there's been quite a short supply. I think we talked about that of real Christmas trees and um, yes. other other greens, yes, this year. So I did what I could with it. It actually is very, very nice, turned out very nice. Uh, so we'll start with how I uh, start this. Now I have a large container, and this is called a self-watering container. I am not really why, I don't know why, there, but it holds water in the bottom so that the um, the, the, um, the pines are always getting some water because they really soak that water up uh, when, when once you cut them. Um, put them into that container. Uh, they're really soaking all that water up, and it's important to give them a lot of water so they stay nice and green. And uh, so I start with that, and then I, um, I take all my greens and I lay them out um, on a stone bench that I have, and I spray them. And I spray them with a um, stuff that's called wilt-proof. Uh, it 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 isn't toxic. It, it it doesn't hurt the environment, and it doesn't hurt um, any little creatures. It doesn't hurt anything. It's just uh, something that, that keeps um, the um, the greens uh, greener um, for a little longer. Especially because they're not going to be out in the elements getting rain or snow or um, a, a cold on cold uh, on them. I Even mean, though it is cool in the veranda. And then I put in some spongy material at the bottom. And once the uh, wilt proof is dried on everything, then I start cutting to the sizes that I want um, the, the different pines. And we'll start with the, the different pines, that, greens, that I use, the evergreens. All of these are members of the evergreen family. Okay. And I've started with white pine. Now, white pine is our Ontario provincial tree. And it is the one with very long needles mm. and very, very long soft needles. has a beautiful scent to it. Um, th- this particular tree, although it is our Ontario provincial um, tree, it does not like city life. So it, it does not, so not do Toronto. well. Not Toronto. My, I actually um, had a real tree of it um, that I had decorated for several years and it did well until I put it in my garden and then it was it was no more. It kind of looked like Charlie Brown's um, Christmas tree after all yeah. oh, it was all, all hanging down and didn't it wasn't very happy so I had to dig it back out. But I start with some cuttings of, of um, a white pine and then I go Sorry Susan, to, what um, is it
1: about the city that the pine can't thrive? Like what's the actual you know, I difference?
5: Don't... I think they cannot take the pollution.
1: Oh, my. For some
5: reason, the white pines do not do well in, all, in polluted air. They prefer to be out in the country um, and, and without all that polluted air. Well, that should they tell us something, huh?
6: Yeah, that's kind of yeah, scary, yeah. isn't
5: yes. it, if you think about that? It is. It's a barometer of, uh, of a... a uh, not very good, you know. Good, good thing. Uh-huh. So no, they don't do well in in um, in our city landscape. But I I buy the the, um, the white pine uh, and have it cut so that I can use the branches, and um, I, I start with that. In the very center, I put boxwood. Now boxwood does not feel like ordinary pine or cedar. It has um, very small um, leaves that go all the way around the branches and all the way up the branch. And boxwood, um, you know, boxwood can be in our gardens um, um, all through uh, North America. You, you'll see um, boxwood in a lot of gardens. That is an evergreen. And um, it's it stands very uh, very tall and very sturdy, so it's it's a good one to start into the center because it doesn't have the floppy um, pine needles that the uh, that the white pine does. So it, it's it's nice. It stands up very very beautifully. stands up straight wow. in there. So I put it that. Boards everything
3: together. I guess is, is the goal.
5: Yes, it does. Yeah. yeah. And and then um, they I I use a. A cedar, which is um, very soft. And short needles. Um, the cedar is very, very lovely. It's lovely to touch. It's it's not um, prickly like the you know, but the the needles of the uh, white pine. It's very soft and it has a beautiful scent. Cedar has a lovely, a lovely smell and a long-lasting smell. So I use that in there, and so that's sort of soft, sort of uh, leaves that go around the branches that go around. And then I have put in, around the bottom, I've put in magnolia. And we've talked about the, um, the uh, Ontario magnolia. This is the blue magnolia. The leaves aren't blue, they're green. It also belongs to the evergreen family. They're wide and they feel kind of leathery. And um, they go around the bottom of the arrangement to sort of hold everything up. And then they, they spread out very, very beautifully. Uh, I noticed this morning I went out and touched the arrangement again, and it's, mm. and, and they have really filled up with some a nice liquid, and they're uh, spread out. So it, they just make a lovely – I love the magnolia leaves. And because they've got that leathery sort of feeling to them and they're very large – when they're actually on a magnolia tree and the wind blows, they actually um, sort of clatter uh, that's that's how um, not not hard but they're not soft they they do have a um, a hardness to them so mm. they, they sort of um clatter together and make some lovely music but i I take those and I put those along the bottom because they they just make a lovely just you know, a lovely addition to um, to, to the arrangement as well. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, and, there, and then I put the lights on, and um, then I hang my owl ornaments, and along the bottom of the arrangement on the table where everything is sitting, I also have some ornaments of um, some owls because uh, I, I always call it my owl tree. So oh, that is my owl tree.
3: Yeah. yeah. It's cool because it's like, instead of, you know, just getting, getting someone to provide you or, or purchase, get a, a Christmas tree from somewhere, you're, you've basically come up with a DIY solution for a beautiful yeah. holiday, mm. uh, holiday holiday. Uh, uh,
1: Plan, arrangement, uh, yeah.
3: Arrangement. Thank you. Yeah, I was yeah. lost for the word. Is this something that you just sort of e- experimented with, or like, how did you come up with the design for this?
5: Well, actually, um, I um, I, I I actually started doing this um, when I when I was very very young um, some of the adults in my in, 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 in my childhood would say you know, let's let's go and do the decorations out, outside um, it, it, it was something that w- we, we did um, I, I did as a child I, I learned the different the different greens uh, we used holly we always had holly in the garden uh, so we used holly we used um, you know whatever um, of the greens that were um, in on different people's properties. Um, in the family. So I, I did I learned it a long time ago, and I've always just kept up the tradition. Even if it was a if I didn't have an area where I could have a large one, I, I would do um, a, a very small one. it's It's always been a tradition, a tradition that um, I, I, I really kept from from childhood.
1: Yeah, and it's so sweet because here on the show at least, for the last however many years you've been coming on, Susan, and whenever we have our uh, holiday kitchen party, you've made these tiny little uh, indoor arrangements that you could just put as your yes. centerpiece, and the description, <laughs> as well as like feeling this stuff and passing it around, it's always been so memorable for us on the team, so I get, I hope that we have some version of that or another this year, but also, how tall is this arrangement, the one in your patio?
5: Uh, um it is it's on a table that's about um three three feet high Mm -hmm. and then there's the um the pot and then there are all the greens in in there so i oh it's it's a little bit taller than than over my my head so it you know it's it's up uh about five feet so it's um it it makes a nice makes a nice show on on the uh porch so it, it 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 does make, um, yeah, it's, it's quite tall. I've, I've had taller. Um, but this year, as I said, I didn't choose my own green. So right, I right. went with that. Uh, what was, um, you know, what the, the person actually picked up for me, uh, because we couldn't find a lot of the stuff. So, uh, that, that is, I had to go with that and that's fine. I was very grateful that they could do that for me. Of so, course. Uh, uh, yeah, so, so it's, it's it really it's it's a fun thing and uh, very very much a traditional and even if i've done very small ones or very large ones some right. of them i've done very large um you know some years i've really i've you know gone all out and and done very large ones, but that was when um the the greens were easier to find mm. uh and and cheaper to find and I will say that because they the, this um the greens this year well the last three or four years have not exactly been so it you know it it's something that um yeah i I think that's going to continue i think yeah. that's a, a something that's going to continue.
1: And it's gonna look a little different every year anyways because it's your craft, right? Your Yeah. The way that you kind of go into it. it. Exactly. It's artistic. Susan, love talking to you. Thank you so much. We'll chat with you next week. Bye. Susan Kearney is our gardener and she joins us on Fridays talking pines today as those were the staples of her outdoor arrangement maybe she'll take another picture and this time it'll be snowy after the break we have our weekly app update with john beeler and one of the things he wants to talk about is meta's latest ai suite that makes translation uh more seamless and expressive find out more about that after the break on kelly and rumia
2: stick around and learn something new kelly and rumia return with more in a moment
1: I don't know. I think my memory is just slipping. Turn 30 and you can't remember anything anymore. I used to be so good at remembering people's birthdays. Did you have a thing like this? Like, you just knew certain things and uh, now you can tell that mm, brain waves are just not what they used to be. I can't remember people's birthdays Mm. the way I used to.
3: No, you know, in the past, I have always not had the greatest memory. And I finally learned, like, okay, you need to come up with a system to kind of better organize yourself. So I would say that, yes, my memory is probably getting a little bit uh, worse with age, but I'm better in the sense that I'm learning how to organize my life a little bit
1: more. My friend, uh, I have a friend who says, uh, we've outsourced a lot of our everything to, you know these mm-hmm. apps and such so yeah i've outsourced my memory to the calendar to the notes app to mm-hmm. all these things right so there's no need anymore exactly,
3: exactly well speaking of technology uh it's time to check in john Bueller, for our
7: weekly app update hi i'm john Bueller, technology expert from vancouver join me on kelly and ramia where i share the latest app mobile and tech news Everything from accessibility and product launches to privacy and security. We'll cover the gamut.
3: Hey, John, welcome to the show. Hello. Uh, really quickly, because I just read this this week, uh, Facebook Messenger owned by Meta has apparently begun rolling out end-to-end encryption by default for messages, uh, which means that essentially no one other than you and your recipient will be able to Read this. Uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation and other privacy advocates are applauding this, uh, but governments are not thrilled for long uh, law enforcement purposes. Just curious to get uh, your thoughts on this.
7: Yeah, this has kind of been a long time coming. This is something that people have been asking for for a long time. We've seen examples in the U.S. where uh, law enforcement has been able to look at um, people's messenger conversations and actually arrest people based on the conversations for various uh, criminal activities Uh or even just things like getting an abortion or talking about an abortion um, in their Facebook messenger with a family member. Um, It's kind of crazy how polarizing this feature is um, which is standard on most other platforms Uh, things like your iMessage and other ways of communicating are all end-to-end encrypted Um, so this is just one more door closing for um, the police and other organizations to peer into the daily conversations of the average person
3: and yeah I go ahead I have
1: sorry Ramya oh no you go ahead Grant
3: no, I have to say that uh, yeah, I can't like I've constantly heard from people, you know, kind of like if you have nothing to hide, you know, you don't have to, to worry about it. I would say abortion has been the moment where a lot of my friends and people I know are saying like, okay, now I kind of get it. Like now I kind of get why end-to-end encryption is uh-huh. necessary.
7: Yeah, it makes sense for certain criminal activities, but something like that where it's a life or death situation for some people and having them having to have a conversation about how they're going to go out of state to deal with this uh, and then get arrested for that purpose uh, is kind of the tipping point for, I think, a lot of people uh, about sort of the privacy uh, line being crossed extensively.
1: Yep, I I mean we've had these conversations when it came to specific examples, and as it became newsworthy around Apple, uh, not necessarily the end to end, but just you know, privacy versus (laughs) law enforcement. So uh, here's another door closing, as you said, but more awareness about privacy and what it actually means. Yeah,
4: yeah, Uh,
3: John. John, uh, speaking of Meta, let's talk about some of the latest uh, updates related to. AI, which makes translation uh, a little more seamless.
7: Yeah, this is something that uh, we talked about on this program, uh, I think in the summertime about uh, basically them having a new translation service that supported hundreds of languages. And it is, you know, just getting better and better all the time. Well, now they've announced the V2 of that service and they've added two new features that are really interesting. One is called seamless expressive. Uh, and what that means is like normally when you when they translate uh, uh, speech or text, It doesn't have any of the cadence or the expressiveness in your voice, it sounds very robotic if it's being played back. Um, And now this technology has the ability in at least a few limited languages. uh, Right now it's only in in, uh, English, Spanish, German, French, Italian and Chinese. And what it does is it actually can convey, you know, those various states of speech that we have, like if you're, you know, in a panicked mode, and you're trying to explain to someone that you're being chased, for example, uh, you're going to have a very hectic tone in your voice. And that will actually be translated along with your word, the words that you say so that that translated version will actually sound and, and uh, emote the same way as the original language that was spoken.
1: Mm. Now, obviously, uh, I mean, it's very clear that we were going to get to this level and precision and quality of translation anyways, because as soon as this kind of thing was coming out, no matter how bad it was, you're assuming the next thing is that it's going to be better. Yeah. Do we have an idea of like where or how widespread it's becoming, though, John? Like meta is this example, but uh, also we talked about. Was it Spotify with the translations and the podcasts and all these other uh, contexts?
7: Well, what's interesting about Meta's approach is that they've open sourced their tools, so these can be plugged into other places fairly easily. And Meta's doing all the heavy lifting, I think, in a lot of ways, because um, they're creating these language models or voice models that uh, are are essentially portable. Um, so it's you know it's 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 incremental, um, but some of those steps between increments can be huge leaps right. it's really impressive mm. to see um they have some really interesting demos that i watched uh that show people talking in their native language and then sort of the um it doesn't translate the the you know their video expression so they just overlaid the translated audio uh of a different language and it has the same kind of urgency and expressiveness of the original source mm. it, it's quite compelling um the other feature that they've announced is called seamless streaming, and this is uh, probably more useful when you're like traveling and you need to have an immediate conversation with somebody. Normally, you'd have to like record their conversation, let the system process it, and then uh, look back at or, or listen to the results. This now has less than a two second like le- um, latency, so literally you're hearing the translated words before they're even finishing their sentences.
3: Wow. It's it's cool because we've talked about features where people who don't have a voice or who are losing their voice are finally having an expressive voice to communicate in. And now we have features like this that I feel like are just breaking down barriers in that they make translation a bit less frustrating, like a bit less robotic to uh, listen to and participate in. Are, are these just rolling out right as we speak or do you have some experience uh, utilizing
7: these? No, these are brand new. These were just uh, announced this week um, and they're rolling out to the various uh, systems and services that can utilize them. Um, But like I said, what's really interesting is that they've chosen to not charge for these features. This is something that they're sharing with the community. Um, And so these breakthroughs, like you said, Grant, are really going to make people's lives different and better. You know, we're so close to having like almost universal language um, thanks to AI and and these types of language models.
1: And like real time feeling like actual real time. And this is what's trippy. I hope, though, that we're still focusing a lot on um, what this means for people. Right? Like people who whose jobs may be at risk or, you know, b- where are we shifting the tasks of the quality checking and things like that? Because it's nice that we're, you know, getting better at the actual sound, you know, literal sound of the translation and the voices, but also are the translations living up to our expectations of what they are? And that means we need more native speakers to QC these things, Right.
7: Absolutely. yeah. And I don't think that's going to change for a while uh, until they've nailed these things perfectly. And as we know, language is complicated and it might not be something that's resolved oh, yeah. in the future. So um, but what's also really cool though, is they're continuing to add more language support for even sort of those edge case languages that are maybe lost uh, as generational changes happen. And they're able to sort of capture them and keep them into the AI systems and, and prolong their life uh and and they can continue to be used and, and at least translated to or from.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about um some scary stuff going on. Twenty-three in me or and me, sorry, twenty-three and me admits that hacks hackers have accessed three point nine million users information and data. And this includes what, like DNA and blood stuff
7: this 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 is a pretty big deal I, i remember a lot of my friends uh not wanting to go the dna route because they they didn't like how ancestry um uh dna was stored and they had some kind of agreement with law enforcement that you know you could be they could determine that you're related to a serial killer, for example, um, and those kinds of things. So a lot of them went to 23andMe because they they, they claimed absolute privacy and they had all these different uh, features to protect your information and your, your DNA. And now it's been uh, shown that 6.9 million accounts have been Oof. compromised. Um, and there's a couple of interesting ways that were sort of uh, results of this. They have this DNA relatives feature uh, in 23 Me that shows you possible relatives, even though you may not be part of a family tree or anything like that. You just like, hey, I might be related to Grant, for example. Um, so that those connections uh, and those matchings of the DNA have all been included in this data breach. And... Um, it, it, so it, it has a lot of information that's probably useless like it's not like they have credit card information or anything like that that they're going to y- instantly utilize it's still way too early to say how valuable DNA information is about a specific individual Um, but we've all seen enough science fiction movies to know that this doesn't end well
8: okay. and yeah. it
7: is potentially very scary uh, in the future Uh, when essentially you know it's not a big stretch to to think that dna information is not unlike having your medical records exposed um you know it has a lot of your information about who you are in your makeup and then now when you mix in the fact that it has this uh, connections to every possible relative that would be in this database as well um it's it's quite scary and i think a lot of people are going to be thinking twice about giving a dna kit as a christmas yep. present this year oh. as a result yeah. of these things the other interesting thing that um, 23andMe has done is they've basically forced people to opt out of a change in their privacy policy so that they can't be sued as part of a class action lawsuit that's been resulting from this data breach. And they basically force you to go in and have to do a number of steps to get um, to get yourself out of uh, that system and so that you could actually pursue them for uh, under a class action lawsuit. Um, So it's, it's just, it's a fast moving story right now, but it's also a really scary story with, uh, you know, no immediate concerns as far as, you know, identity theft or anything like that. Um, But it definitely has some long um, results that could down the road be problematic for some people. Yeah, this is an
3: incredibly scary scenario as somebody who did submit my information to 23andMe, uh, but I have not heard that. I am included in this hack yet. That doesn't necessarily mean that I am not. I think this is scary on just so many levels. As you said, we don't know exactly what the consequences will be. They're rarely as simple as we think. The company has clearly like demonstrated that they're not really interested in re- resolving this situation to for the, the uh, good of the, the public. But I really think, again, this is an example where... There's just no way to prevent these kinds of breaches unless you have that end-to-end encryption somehow. And we're, we're looking at people's uh, medical information too. I mean, this is telling you, you know, what diseases you might be prone to get, you know, et cetera. There's like a lot of information that I could see, you know, running this through an AI and going like, okay, you know, maybe this person isn't the best, I don't know, for this job or for, or for this this. As a partner, I don't know. Whatever, uh, it's it's scary stuff, man.
7: Yeah, scary stuff. It, it's just like you said. It's just too soon to know what the you know the long tail of this is going to be mm. uh, because of the fact that we just don't know how useful this will be to people in the future, and, and you know, it's just not a good scene for anybody.
3: It's literally. We're just going to have to hurry up and wait, see what happens. Right. There's absolutely nothing we can do. But as you said, uh, maybe the DNA test kit is going to go down in terms of a popular holiday gift. Uh, we are out of time here. We'll ch- chat about uh, Eliza, the chatbot next week. Looking looking forward to that because <laughs> I, I get a kick out of that chatbot. Uh, thanks for coming on, man.
7: No problem. You both have a good weekend.
1: Thank you.
3: You too, John Beeler. We'll be back next Friday for our weekly app update.
1: After the break, we have Fire with Phoenix slash Buzz with Bill, but with Mark Phoenix. And one of the stories he has is about a magnetic surgical robot that made its international debut in a Chile hospital. We'll be back with that on Kelly and Ramya.
2: Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI TV.
1: Welcome back. It's Kelly and Ramia on a Friday afternoon with myself and Grant Hardy. Now, of course, if you want to listen live, you can tune in weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-TV or 4 p.m. Eastern for the first airing of the show on AMI-audio. And then go to your podcast whenever you feel like listening to Kelly and Ramia, no matter what time of day it is. Now, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, we like to check in with the buzz that is usually with Bill Shackleton Presently with Mark Phoenix as he fills in for Bill and um you know these headlines Mark when we share them as teasers are really really intriguing. So where do you want to start?
9: Well, we will start with the uh one you wanted to start with uh from the uh sun yes, the robots, the robots are taking over and for once they're actually being helpful. This <laughs> is from uh Reuters out of Santiago, Chile where a robot that uses powerful magnets to perform less invasive and more efficient surgeries completed its first international procedure, a gallbladder removal, at a public hospital in Chile this week, according to the company that developed the technology. The Mars Surgical Platform at the Luis Tisney Hospital in Santiago allows surgeons to, quote, attach a small magnet to organs, like the liver, and use robotic arms with high-powered magnets on the patient's belly to manipulate organs out of the way according to levita magnetics the california based startup that created the robot so rather than having to stick a bunch of retractors and clamps in you to you know tug organs out of the way now we can do it with the power of magnets uh, the system also gives surging the surgeon control of the camera which allows for better visualization Um, This is according to Alberto Rodriguez Navarro, director and founder of the company, which developed the Mars platform. Uh, It's not the first procedure for the robot, though. It was first cleared by the U.S. FDA in September and conducted its first commercial surgery at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio in October, but perhaps coming soon to a hospital and a procedure near you.
1: The implications are wild.
9: absolutely
1: unbelievable i mean do we know any more of the kinds of details of how this is done i know you talked about the camera angles and like i guess the the betterment of it but in terms of how do we make sure it's right for some reason like i'm so intrigued by how it's done and how to make it precise uh, it is absolutely
9: It is absolutely fascinating. This particular article doesn't mention those details. Mm. I'm going to guess you still have to get in there to insert the, I guess, uh, the magnetic targets in the first place, but it would be a much less invasive than having to, you know, say cut, you know, your whole chest open or your whole abdomen and start rooting things around. So instead just... I mean, if it's something like the stomach, you'd probably even just swallow the magnet. I'm The details, I guess, <laughs> would be from the company. But yeah, go and insert yeah. these little magnets, have the robot arms just kind of shift everything out of the way. And then, you know, you don't have to you don't have to cut as much. Oh you don't have to retract gosh. as much. Surgery is a traumatic process for the body. Right. As anyone who's yeah. woken up after one, you know, uh, doped up on painkillers can tell you, the painkillers don't deal with all of it. So anything that reduces the amount of damage that has to be done to the body in the first place is undoubtedly a good thing.
3: Well, and not only that, but what I really dig about robots doing this kind of work is it just the less likeliness for like careless or tired or whatever mistakes. Mm. Like we always hear about the best surgeons in the world. They have that one moment where they like accidentally sort of nick something or, you know, don't realize or something happens. And it's traumatic both for the surgeon and the patient. Not saying that robots couldn't quote unquote make a mistake, but it seems to me that a fully working robot could be more precise in these times, types of situations and not make those kind of human errors.
9: Absolutely. A robot doesn't get tired. A human can be exactly. exhausted, confused, uh, can even panic. So having that extra level of abstraction between the surgeon's uh, senses and the actual procedure, you know, could only serve to help patients and doctors try to conduct a more careful, uh, more accurate, and less damaging surgery. So, yes, absolutely, you know, having something there to you know kind of be a buffer between your overworked surgeon and your body.
1: Mm. I always think about like the fear levels or the anxiety or just the nerve-wracking energy of going through something like this for the first time. And I'm talking about the people who want to try this, right? Like the the procedure itself and then the amount of relief and excitement for next steps when it actually is a success. It is incredible to think about.
9: It's Very slick stuff. We are in the future.
1: Mm.
9: <laughs> what else? Uh, what, else? What, what else do we have? Well, this one is from NBC News, where Panera Bread's highly caffeinated charged lemonade <laughs> is now blamed for a second death. I didn't even know what? it had been blamed for a first. Initially, according to a lawsuit filed on monday oh. dennis brown of fleming island florida drank three charged lemonades from a local panera on october 9th and then suffered a fatal cardiac arrest on his way home uh the he uh, apparently regularly drank visited panera after his shifts at a, a local company he uh had high blood pressure so normally he didn't drink energy drinks, according to the lawsuit. It was filed on behalf of Brown's mother, sister, and brother less than two months after Panera was hit with a different lawsuit regarding Sarah Katz, an Ivy League student with a heart condition who died in September 2022 after she drank a charged lemonade. That lawsuit, first reported by NBC News, called the beverage a dangerous energy drink and argued that Panera failed to appropriately warn consumers about its ingredients, which include the stimulant guarana extract. Panera has advertised its charged lemonade as, quote, plant-based and clean with as much caffeine as our dark roast coffee. It contains 390 milligrams of caffeine, so a large 30-fluid-ounce charged lemonade has more caffeine in total than any size of Panera's dark roast coffee, according to the complaint. Oh, dear. This kind of sounds like something I would have really enjoyed back in my sketchy raver days about a decade and a half ago, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like that was about a year and a half uh, period. Uh, this is something I would have enjoyed, but you know, consuming that much caffeine. And I mean, this poor guy drank three of them in yeah. at one point. With the existing
1: uh, conditions,
9: it was also noted. It.
5: Mm-hmm.
9: it was also noted he was able to get the uh, charged lemonade from one of these self serve dispensers by all the non heavily caffeinated uh, drinks. Um, yeah it's it's unclear whether brown knew how much caffeine and other stimulants were in the drink uh, according to the lawsuit but uh, my goodness
3: yeah i feel like this is a good lesson that some of these food and drink items like it's amazing how regulated drugs can be even things that are pretty benign but you go to like energy drinks Soft drinks, you know, this and that, that might have, like, whatever, like, 500 milligrams of caffeine or whatever, and it's, like, completely, I mean, not completely unregulated, but it's so uh, easy come, easy yep. serve, easy go, that yep. if we don't really think about the effects it actually
1: has on the body. It's really scary, and it's just packed, packed mm-hmm. with stuff, right? Like, I mean, even when you think about Red Bulls, I remember doing some quick Google search comparisons between just like our daily coffee or a daily Red Bull, and it's not even just caffeine, it's the amount of sugar and the amount of everything else, and it's packed into these cans, and people will drink them all day to keep energized. Yeah.
9: Whew. Do you remember Jolt Cola? Oh... When what that was advertised that? as twice the caffeine of everything else, it—I oh, think it actually got pulled from the market some years ago. But it was, a, it, was a, it 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 was a soda that really leaned into being heavily caffeinated and promoted itself as twice the caffeine of everything else. I mean, I mean, people are downing these, you know, caffeine and energy drinks just to try to stay on their feet, running between. Right two, three jobs, trying to do all the errands they have to do. You know, life is extraordinarily busy. And instead of trying to slow things down, we're left with people trying to speed themselves up to keep up with it.
1: And I mean, granted, there's these people, the two examples with the Panera lawsuits. One of them had a a heart condition and the other had high Mm -hmm. blood pressure. But the fact that it's just self-serve and ready to go, this charged lemonade, and what did they say? One large had over 300
9: 390 milligrams. Ah. milligrams. Mind-blowing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, that'll keep you awake for days.
1: Uh-huh.
9: Yeah. Unless unless it kills, it kills you.
3: Exactly. Until that moment. Yeah, we talked on the show earlier about just chronic fatigue and tiredness in our society. And I, I feel like we definitely have this really unhealthy epidemic of, mm. like he said, just kind of chugging whatever we can to, like, make it through the next meeting, you know, whatever. And you never really know something's wrong until something huge goes wrong.
9: Absolutely. Well, I got one more story on the caffeinated uh, drinks tip. This one uh, from Food Processing Magazine, of all places, uh, out of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, where three men have been accused of stealing more than $100,000 in Dr. Pepper syrup from a warehouse and reselling the soft drink ingredient to a gas station in town, according to a local news report from the the newspaper called the Oklahoman on the night of October 19th police found Jimmy Lee Robinson the outside the doors of a Keurig Dr. Pepper warehouse in town after a security guard said he had climbed the parking lot fence and entered the warehouse Robinson who reportedly was a former employee who had quit in August told police he was exercising. A facility regional manager said thefts had been an issue since May, particularly of the Dr. Pepper five gallon bag in a box product, which I would like, which I'd like several uh, packets of by the way, which was worth $98 and could make about 120 32 ounce soft drinks. They uh, added some GPS trackers and found that the pallets of uh, Dr. Pepper were being dropped off at a local gas station, which allegedly paid Robinson $50 for every box (laughs) delivered. He was charged along with the gas station owner and another former uh, warehouse employee in the scheme to uh, run my personal favorite soft drink uh, to the, to this gas station.
1: Uh, this is like wow. a big mission. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's so a proper mission. I mean, I feel like they could make a TV show out of this. And also we talked about the olive oil stuff earlier this week. Right. Mm-hmm. I wonder lots who of, uh, had to work. Lots harder.
9: of organized crime uh-huh. uh, orbiting around uh, food and or oil syrups and, and, and oils. drinks. Yeah. <laughs> it's big business. Obviously. It is
1: though. It is. I mean, losing out. I mean, missing out. Mark, thank you so much.
9: It's been a pleasure.
1: It's been a pleasure for sure this week, and Mark will most likely be back next week as well to keep filling in for Bill Shackleton on the buzz. We have another hour of Kelly and ramia coming your way. Grant and I will be here for Cut For Time to recap on convos from the week, along with Jeff Ryman. We also have the Chatty Bookshelf, and Ryan, who has a perfect book gifts for the book lover in your life. But up next, let's talk about one of the greatest athletes retiring this year for Canada. And that'll be with uh, Brock Richardson on our sports. We'll be right back.
2: Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv.
1: welcome we're kicking off hour two of Kelly and Ramia and it's been fun hanging out with Grant today so it's really Grant and Ramia and as usual on a Friday we like to check in with our tech check in with our gardens and check in with sports so let's bring on Brock Richardson
10: I'm Brock Richardson and I love sports as a former pro athlete, I bring you the sports angle beyond the headlines, plus parasport news and analysis.
1: Of course, Brocky, we're going to have to pay some homage to uh, some people in the Canadian realm of sports, pro sports. Do you want to talk a little bit about Christine Sinclair?
10: I do. But before we get into Christine, I just hmm. want to mention something that has been uh widely reported in the nhl and that is that we're going to go back to a quote-unquote world cup i put that in oh, quotes yeah? for a reason and i'll explain this in a second we're going to go back to do this this is supposed to be happening in 2025 now, where i get a little messed up on the world cup is that we're having four teams yes that's right a world cup is going to have four teams canada usa sweden and finland why are we titling this a world cup your guess is as good as mine. I don't understand this. They said in their, in Elliot Friedman's uh, post, they said, "Oh, we're going to have a, an actual World Cup in 2028." Okay, but why are you calling this a World Cup? I,
1: I just is it the pre World Cup World <laughs> Cup
2: <laughs> mini uh,
10: World I will, Cup? I I will say this though. I these are the nations that I just that I just spouted to you guys. So Canada, USA. Sweden and Finland. Those are the four best nations that represent hockey well across the board. But then I believe also that you're being sorta of disrespectful to teams like Germany who have Tim Stutzela who just came up, uh, and is involved in the NHL, plus Leon Dreisettel. And both of those individuals are involved with the Edmonton Oilers. So this is I mean, this is just weird to me. I'm thinking, why are we designating this a World Cup with four teams? But that's the story I have for you. That apparently this is happening in in uh, 2025 in and around February or so. So
8: that's okay. that. What,
10: what, but uh, yeah, what, what the, uh,
3: go, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Go no, ahead. No, I'm just curious. What would the typical like? What would you be expecting in terms of
10: participation numbers of well, countries? A, a typical World Cup, and it's a it's a it's a good question. A typical World Cup is more like eight teams. 10 right. teams, then you would have, you know, uh, Russia, you would have Belarus, you would have like a whole bunch of other teams, some that are n- certainly not as good as the North American teams, obviously, but that's what designates a World Cup. This, I I, I just, I understand what they're going for because they did this in the early 2000s where they said, we're going to have a, a World Cup and it, it turned my head then and I thought we would learn from it from the early 2000s, but they're still <laughs> designating this a World Cup. And I just I think that that's a a, a bit of a disrespect to uh, to the world. And and then to say we're gonna have an official one in 2028, we promise. Like you're even acknowledging in your own in your own press release, yeah, this is kind of a joke, and we'll acknowledge yeah. it. And to me, I just think it's a massive, massive disrespect to to the countries that that aren't involved in this World Cup. So, yeah. Well, uh, going to ignite yeah. some additional rivalry, I guess, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, absolutely, right? You would hope. Uh, but something oh. that I would say that was good for Canada uh, this week was the fact that uh, Christine Sinclair uh, played her last international game against Australia, which was held at uh, BC Place, but it was also renamed uh, Christine Sinclair plays for the one evening that she uh, represented there. We had over 48,000 uh, individuals in attendance. This was a really great game. I would say that the score was not the important piece. Yes, they won the game. And yes, that's what we were all looking for. Christine wanted that. But what a real uh, homage to a lady who's done a lot beyond soccer uh, for it. And uh yeah, we're going to dive in a little bit in deeper into this conversation.
3: Yeah, I mean, it strikes me that the impact of Christine Sinclair retiring uh, and finishing her last big game and just the person, what she's done for, for the sport, maybe what she's done for for women in, in sports, uh, if I can say that, uh, has been really huge. Can you Talk a little bit about that. Her retirement. Her impact.
10: Yeah, I mean, I think you mentioned it there. The first one that I have on my list, uh, greatest Canadian soccer player, and I put that both on the men's and women's side intentionally. I think that she, you know, holds uh, the most goals uh, uh, for both sides. Uh, she wasn't able to get one hundred and ninety-one on the last game that she played, but she still has 190 uh, international goals. I think that's going to, going to, going to stand out. I think she was a champion of the sport, both at the grassroots level and the national level. She was great about like, I want to, you know, get the sport out there for all the young kids. I want to grow this game beyond uh, myself. And then we get into more of the obvious things of she'll be known uh, for bringing Canada to the Olympic games, some medals in, uh, bronze in, in, in Tokyo. And then she won another one in, uh, 2020 as well. Uh, which, which was actually the postponed games, which was 2021, but they were still designated as the 2020 games. But, you know, those are the things that she's really gonna, gonna be known for. And I mean, to be honest, I think realistically, if we go back to the games in uh, 2012, uh, There should have been another either gold or silver. There was some controversy against the U.S. about whether or not, you know, something illegal happened in in one of the kicks at the end of the game. I'm still bitter about that, but we'll eventually get over it. I just think, you know, there's still an impact there. I would also say just the fact that they changed the name uh, of BC Place, which is iconic in and of itself to Christine Sinclair Place, is indicative to who she was and who she is as a person um this is uh also somebody who said i want to qualify my country for this upcoming uh, olympic window uh that's going to be happening she could have said look i won my medal and i'm going to move on and 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 that's that or my medals but she said no i want to qualify this team for, for the next games, and I want to stick through this and, and make sure that we, we get to Paris. And she did that, and I think she's going to be remembered for that quite fondly, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, it's a big, big part of sport to know how um, players and, and people who we really admire in the sport, for whatever reasons, how they're going to continue to grow the sport, right? And obviously not everybody has the capacity, and, and there are different reasons why people would step back, but... It's lovely to know that, you know, she's made it very, um, I guess, an open conversation for people to be part of her journey, uh, even stepping away, but also that she's still kind of there and she's still very impactful on that grassroots level, bro. because we know we need the support, the sports need the support.
10: Yeah, and I would also say to you guys, I mean, the, what was really... Evident to me at the end of the game when the game was over and what took place, you know, between the lines was one of the TSN reporters who said, you know, what does it mean to you that thousands and thousands of women and young girls here are wearing your number and your jersey? And she said... I've accomplished what I needed to accomplish here and I've gotten the program into a good place. And it's not just a good place now, but it's a good place moving forward. And I think that that was very telling as well. So Christine Sinclair uh, hats off to, uh, to her and, and she'll be missed, but I also suspect that she'll be around the game for a long time in in other capacities aside from an athlete herself.
1: Yeah, it sounds like she's so willing to be helpful. Um, Tell us, moving on for other things, tell us about the winter meetings in baseball.
10: So... I had two names. I had uh, Shohei Ohtani and Juan Soto. Uh, Shohei Ohtani was part of the uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And then uh, Juan Soto was part of the Padres. Uh, Juan Soto moved on to the Yankees. Uh, Shohei Ohtani, we are still in the midst of not knowing where he's going to go. Apparently, it's down to the LA Dodgers and the Toronto Blue Jays. Something that kind of weird happened with him was that his camp, so all the people that are involved with him, his agents, all that said, if you are in talks with us, you need to keep the details quiet. Well, what happened, interestingly, was LA's manager, Dave Dave Roberts, came out and said, oh, yeah, uh, we're heavily involved in the Shohei Otani thing, and it'd be so great to have him involved in our team and all this, and he was on and on for, like, 10, 12 minutes, and right after this press conference bunch of media people surrounded him, and there was this whole big deal about, you know, you can't say that, you can't say that, and then the GM came out and basically dispelled everything he said of, oh, yes, we can't talk about Shohei Ohtani, we can't talk about this, and Ross Atkins, our GM, has literally kept lips sealed about what's happened. Apparently, there's this mysterious flight that came from Los Angeles to Toronto today that's supposed to be landing in about a little over an hour and 15 minutes, But until this deal is signed, I don't know. But Shohei Otani is the biggest fish because he's a two-way player. He can pitch and he can hit. This has only happened one other time in MLB history with Babe Ruth. And so this is a big, big deal. And if the Toronto Blue Jays sign him or anybody else signs him, they are going to net him upwards of $500 million. So this guy is going to get a lot of money. I'm in his way, one way or another. Uh,
1: And all our eggs in that basket. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That is a lot of uh, banking on him. All right, Brocky, thank you so much. Thank you. Always keeping us posted on the latest in sports. Brock Richardson joins us on Fridays to kick off the second hour. If you're looking for the perfect gift for the book lover in your family or friend circle, Ryan Huey is keeping us posted next on the Chatty Bookshelf. He's got some uh, holiday gift guide, gift guide of sorts when we come back with you after the break on Kelly and Rumia.
2: Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner.
1: on with our Friday show here on Kelly and Ramia, Grant and myself co-hosting with you and we have a lovely time checking in with our friends and contributors on our Friday shows, Grant.
3: We do and one of the best parts about the Friday show opening up uh, the weekend here for us is to chat all things audiobooks on the chatty bookshelf with Ryan Huey.
0: Who knew an entire library could fit inside your pocket? I'm Ryan Hui. This is the Chatty Bookshelf, where we talk audiobook trends, news, and author interviews. Great to have you
3: with us today, Ryan. Happy Friday. Welcome to the program.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. You guys are always so kind when you uh, when you introduce me. I feel like I always have big shoes to fill when you guys <laughs> say nice things about me.
1: Well, they're your own shoes, right? So it shouldn't be that okay. hard. All right. <laughs>
3: and, and it's... <laughs> Cool, too, because it's one of, it's the way we kind of end our Friday show, you know? So I think people associate, and it's audiobooks anyway, so it's kind of like weekend, leisure, fun. So you've got a good head start here for this segment.
0: Uh, <laughs> well, thanks, guys. I wanted to touch base, and uh, kind of this was interesting to me. I found this online, and I don't know if you guys will find this interesting, but Goodreads, uh, which is obviously very similar to Facebook, but for book lovers, did a survey and they sent it out to just around 2 million people. And it found that only 37% of them read eBooks on their smartphone. So, and that to me seemed low. So 37% is about 740,000 people of, of 2 million. So where are they reading them? Like I, and it brings up other options, right? So you have your old school pages, you got your, your hard covers, your, your soft cover books, you got Kindles and tablets, but I thought, you know, you who leaves home without their smartphone, whether it's Android, whether it's uh, iPhone. I'm just like, I found this really interesting that I found that really low. I thought it'd be more in like the 85% range, but I guess it's it's lower than I thought.
3: Yeah, I just find this really interesting because it occurs to me that sometimes in the vision loss community, I feel like we are more ahead of sighted people when it comes to technology. Like mm. we have been reading audiobooks for not quite almost a century, really. Mm-hmm. And they're they're finally becoming more popular. Same thing with the smartphone. When I got my smartphone, it's like this is amazing. I don't need anything else. I can put all my audiobooks, even my ebooks on here, read them there. But I, I don't know what you think, Remy. I feel like I think people are still kind of catching up, and of course the the screen size affects uh, it too. But uh, yeah. no reason you
0: shouldn't be able to read. Oh, well, I hadn't keyboard considered keyboard. that. You're right. Yeah, that was yeah, the first I thing hadn't I thought that. of.
1: Screen size, because people who are you know have a tablet or an iPad or I guess a laptop, but really so much more portable options, but still give you that screen size. I think does affect your comfort in ebook reading. Just comfort, like coziness, right? Like, you're not mm-hmm. necessarily, it's kind of like saying, um, setting the the tone, setting the vibe for the reading. And oh, I think okay. reading digital books, it's still not the same, it's not a parallel experience to flipping through pages. Or, you know, yeah. Grant, you and I talk about like braille versus audiobooks versus ebooks, right? Like, it's not, well, of reading, but in terms of just uh, comfort or you know, what reading means to you, it all these little things probably make big differences in the factors
0: and i think that's more of my ignorance too like it's been a long time since i've looked at a screen and sure. actually saw something on it right so i'm like oh yeah <laughs> sure. you know i don't care like my smartphone like that's where i'm gonna listen to Siri or yeah. right yeah and now i'm i'm kind of reconsidering like okay maybe is that low or is that kind of on par like it just it, again just seems so shocking to me because if you went around and asked 25 people, if they have a cell phone, I bet 24 of them would say yes. And right there in their pocket, right. Uh, Maybe even more. So I I don't, it's just really that it was interesting to me. And like, what a stat, right. I did. I didn't realize that the numbers would would say that. And I thought it was an interesting question too, as well. Like, I mean, in today, like, like Grant said, there's been around for eBooks have been around for many years now. And now all of a sudden we're like, Hey, I wonder how many people read these on their smartphone.
3: No, and it's funny, just some of the barriers that sighted people encounter too. Like, for example, I've been with people, you know, you go on a trip, they have their e-reader, their Kindle, whatever. And suddenly it's like, wait a minute, like, I don't really want to bring this to the beach, whatever, you know, because it could get stolen. It could get whatever damage. Mm -hmm. Now, what do I do? Like, now I don't have books to read. So it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to sort of think about the fact that like everybody has barriers.
1: Yeah. That is quite fair, and and people will say too, like I'm going on all inclusive, I'm gonna pick up actual books, or you know, some when you're gifting, would you rather gift a physical book than an ebook or an audiobook, that kind of thing, right?
0: Well, hey guys, if you're traveling now that we have all this stuff in airports where you uh-huh. can download this and that, make sure whatever <laughs> device you're you're about to read on has an internet connection or has the Wi-Fi capability, so you can get that internet connection, so you can get all those freebies, because. Uh, I can't wait to go to yeah. one of those airports and, and figure out how to how to
1: use these machines. So I hinted at the gifting, Ryan. Gift, gift, gift. <laughs> yes.
0: So we're at that time of year uh, where everybody, whether it's The New Yorker, whether it's Kirkus Reviews, uh, Goodreads, uh, New York Times, they're all putting out their best of. And I like what The New York Times did here because they split them into genres, which not a lot of others do. And I bet you if you went into you know any of the offices... For any of the publishing companies, they're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we're arguing in March whether or not this is going to be the book of, you know, is this our top 10, is this, that. But I wanted to highlight three that have popped up on four lists that I've seen so far. And I spend way too much time looking at these lists. So, you know, feel free to make fun of me a little bit, guys. But I've seen these on multiple lists. And I was like, there has to be something about these books. And I looked on Audible and the reviews i think it's like 80 percent of them were five stars so i mean you're talking pretty good so if you're looking for a gift for the book lover in your life i think this is a good place to start and there's a little bit of different genres here uh and it's, it's interesting to me because uh there's all these books and all these choices and I never really gave books as a gift, but now I'm like, wow, this might be the simplest way to here's a credit or here's the actual hardcover or here's, you know, the, the Kindle or, or what have you kind of thing. And I'm looking even into it for Abby, my little one, because there's all these subscriptions out there for little kids to do stuff. But the first one I have here is called the bee sting and it's by an author called Paul Murray. This is what we like to call a faction book. So it, Is a fictional story. However, the facts are 100% true. So it follows an Irish family who was very wealthy. And then in the economic downturn of 2008, they actually went through some really hard times and lost a lot of their money. And now they had to sort of live on the poorer side of things or the not so wealthy side of things. And it follows them in depth into a lot of the problems that they were calling rich people problems, as opposed to, oh my goodness, where am I going to eat or where am I going to sleep tonight? So it's kind of a different parallel, which uh, I've started listening to this. I'm only about 15 minutes in, but I love the first chapter so far. Uh, And what's great is this is, we'll call it a full cast, but there's four narrators. uh, And so far, you hear all four of them in the first 15 minutes, and they're fantastic. One person, I don't know if they're Irish or not, but if they're not, they do a very convincing Irish accent, uh, and this is available in in audio in ebook and in your traditional uh print copies as well and it it touches on some you know some of the funnier things it touches on some of the more difficult things so it does it in terms of one chapter might be a little bit more funny but then you get that serious side too and that's kind of what i like
3: all right man uh let's talk about uh some of the other
0: titles uh that sure the second one is the best minds by jonathan rosen and this is flying off shelves. It is a self-help book or an advocacy book for yourself. Uh, and there's so many good things in here. Uh, he is a, I'm going to get this wrong. I don't know if it's a psychiatrist or a psychologist, one or the other. And he wrote this and he actually narrates it, which is great. I love the authorator sort of vibe of this. Um, and it's sort of in his own words says, here's how you can figure out how you have that trip to hell and back and get there and and make your way through it. Uh, it's It's really kind of, a, a tough listen because it helps you actually answer those tough questions so it makes you think right and if um there's some parts that people are saying are hard to get through only because it makes them realize oh this is what I do or this is my downfall mm. or this is my big thing that I need to work on and if we're talking about new year's resolutions coming up maybe this is a good uh. starting place for for people, oh, yeah. um, I, I don't know. That's the dreaded kind of thing. But again, available in all three formats. You've got your print, your old school. get your ebook, uh, and then you also have your audiobook But if you're going to buy the print copy, make room on yourself because it's about six hundred pages, so it's a hefty book. Whoa! Uh, so you might want to. Yeah, it's it's a big.
1: So I mean, big one. It is like literally a big one because of the, how long <laughs> it is. But but yeah. uh, I mean, picking up stuff around this time like more serious things right i'm always very skeptical like am i gonna get into this do i just want something comfortable and fun and light around the holiday season and that is of course yep. until january 1st and then i'm ready to get into the the uh, psyche i guess but this one's popular because of the author or because of the way that the subject is being um uh delved into
0: Good question. Um, I don't I can't say that the author is famous, famous, like you're not looking at a, you know, a, a really famous author, but I, I so I don't know that it would be that I think it's more of the way um, of the recommendations, the word of mouth, the reviews, the, uh, you know, listen through and it's going to get you to think, right? I mean, I don't want to say there's not other books out there. But there's oftentimes where you have these, we'll call them advocacy or self help books. And yeah, they sort of just breeze through it and sort of only touch the tip of the iceberg. Whereas what I've seen and read about this one is that it dives deep into it and it makes you think like, Hey, like, are you doing this? And how, how can you, your suggestions—it's not just you know complaining about oh if you're doing this mm-hmm. stop. It doesn't just say that. It's like here's some helpful ways to you know get those small battles, get the get the little victories, and and uh, celebrate those and make your way onto whatever it is you want you want out of life or want in, in your own life. So I think that's kind of it takes the hard pressed approach, but it does it in a soft, good natured sort of uh, way that uh, is really really heartfelt. Right? Uh, it mm-hmm. almost makes you like feel like the author cares for you, I guess in a way
3: yeah i i certainly have some some mixed feelings on the one hand i feel like self help books are incredibly necessary especially for these days kind of a cool gateway if you're not really ready for you know therapy or just an an interesting way of thinking about things differently on the other hand i don't know if i could give this as a gift somehow i feel like this would be a situation <laughs> where maybe that credit would be more helpful as a gift i don't know i feel like if right. someone gave this to
0: me it'd be like uh, uh what are you this? trying to and say then just a suggestion. <laughs> yeah maybe you're may right it would take a special a special friend or a special kind of relationship to have that yeah but uh just the, like i said i saw it on four different lists so and it's got to be there for a reason right and i don't know yeah um, well, who who's buying it or, or what their what their plans are with it? But it's it just seemed like Ramya said it stuck out to me like a sore thumb because I'm of the same mindset. I want mm. something happy. I want something adventurous, like a thriller or a, yeah. or something else, or maybe a memoir. But this is completely different. And it's making all of these lists, uh, not just one or two. It's, so I, I thought that, huh, this is this is an interesting one, so I'll bring it up. there There must be something about it, right? But
1: there it is a story, by the way. like it is based on his life and based on the the friendship little, that he had. yes, it, yeah, yes. It's, yeah. it, or at least like that's the um thread, I guess. So you are getting a bit of that in it as well. this the storytelling yeah. maybe that's and maybe that's it yeah maybe that's 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 why people want to hear it this way because it is interesting we don't have too much time to dive into this right now but it is interesting how this kind of genre prevails and it's not all just like textbook psychology like we're talking about making it pop culture right so that's a kind of a fine balance ryan one more
0: yeah yes the chain gang all-stars by Nana Kwame, and I'm pretty sure I'm saying that wrong, but this is a dystopian take on the American prison system. So it follows two women who are in prison and it sort of follows them. And like, wh- how do you change when you're faced up against the wall and you have to you, you have to be mean or you have to do something you don't want to do? Um, it, it covers all kinds of different things about um you know, racism, and discrimination, and advocacy, and violence, but it, what is really great is that it's a dual narration, and both narrators have different accents, so they're following the two, one plays one woman, and the other plays the other main character, and they they do a fantastic job. I've only listened to the preview, but you get to hear both of them, and I like that it's almost written in the form of a play, rather than, okay, Ramya, you'll do um, chapter one, Ryan will do chapter two sort of thing. And it does do that a bit, but there's also that mix-in of, okay, you did your paragraph, now I'm speaking as the other character and I'm doing my paragraph, which is really kind of cool. And I think the thing is that, you know, a lot of people, a lot, it's obviously a fictional story, but I think what people are seeing is that it's actually based on some of the reviews and some of the people that are in the industry. It's actually not that far-fetched to that something could come like this within the prison because it is a little bit of dystopian, a little bit of, you know, Hey, we're going to mix this. And, you know, as I say before, sometimes it's the craziest ideas that do the best, whether it's in book land, video game world, or, or something like that movie world, but the, people are loving this one. It is going wild and it's on yeah. sale right now, guys on audible.
3: Yeah. I think it's so interesting to get some insight into the prison system because the most outlandish, things even even if it's fictional like you said the most outlandish things that you're like oh this could never happen no it actually does happen
0: in prison. uh and really, happen really for, let's say normal people or you know like exactly, that, exactly right yeah what do you what do you do and that's what i kind of yeah. like about this one
3: uh listen it's always great to have you on man we are out of time but we will chat with you next week
0: have a great weekend guys and we'll talk soon
3: You too, ryan who joins us every friday to talk all things audiobooks on the chatty bookshelf
1: you and weigh in on conversations that we've had in the past week because so many gems of information comes out so we have cut for time after the break myself grant hardy and jeff ryman will be with you to recap we'll be right back
2: it's fun insightful and inclusive kelly and Ramya return in a minute
1: We get audio describer J.J. Hunt on the show once a month. I think it's like the second or third Wednesday of the month. And anyway, um, he is just like a describer by heart. You know, he often talks about his family being sick and tired of him just describing everything verbally all the time. They're like, I know, we can see it. And he's like, oh, sorry. But then what we do is we get so spoiled with these conversations with him Then we go into our own lives and start making everybody describe every single thing to us, so... Um, Jeff Ryman over the break had been pretty to this with uh, the fish flops. And I, I don't know. I don't feel satisfied with the description yet, Jeffy. You're going to have to do more research.
6: <laughs> fish flops. Yeah. The, yeah it, it, it's basically how it sounds. They're flip flops. But it's like on the top end of the the flip flop is just like a full fish, head to toe, full fish. <laughs> the Like where you would actually put your foot in is just a regular flip flop. But it's just the top that just looks like a fish. Uh, I don't know if they're so soft. Hard you asked if they're visualize. fuzzy. I don't. I don't know what they. That's what I mean. We like
1: need I'm more sad. info, like texturally. <laughs> I, Grant, did you have any follow up questions?
3: It's it's just really hard to visualize. I'm trying to picture what <laughs> the don't. shape would be, and I can't. I just can't picture it in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. If, I know it.
6: It is rather jarring to think about, like walking on a fish
1: or fish um, on you while you're walking
6: i i will say i had to do a double take the first time i saw it i i thought like th- they were legitimate fish um so yeah I, it's really hard to describe yeah um like i said on the top end um basically it's a full fish where you'd slide your foot in is uh just regular flip-flops, flip-flops. so it's like half so we, fish, we
1: have half to flip-flop. know if it's comfortable we, that's a big part of it
6: i'll ask my buddy at hockey on thank Tuesday. you he will,
1: he <laughs> will let me you. know <laughs> it's a yeah it takes a village to describe these fish swaps yeah so, okay Jeffy, we're here for cut for time grant hardy myself and jeff ryman uh, and we basically want to recap some of these conversations that stuck with us from the week and all, apparently all of us are paying attention to wednesday's show so Jeffy, you get us started
6: Yeah, Wednesday's show is fantastic, Um, but I want to stick with uh, Corinne Van Dusen's segment. She stopped by with her biweekly entertainment chat, and here she is talking about a cool feature the band Kiss is showcasing at their last concert.
8: So they're going to perform their last show, the End of the Road Tour, at Madison Square Garden in New York on Saturday, and then during the encore, they're going to introduce avatars of the current lineup performing t- uh God gave rock and roll to you too so they're going to introduce the new uh you know ideation of kiss as not the actual people but avatars in their place I feel like I have
6: um maybe some controversial thoughts about this guys. I feel like I also need a little bit more detail as to what this will turn into aside from just having avatars potentially playing a concert. Um, But I don't think I'm a fan. Uh, You know, a a part of me thinks, um, you know, they've been around for, you know, 40, probably close to 50 years now, at least, KISS. Um, And, you know, all good things have to come to an end. It's, I think it's part of a legacy thing. Um, you know, seeing something come to an end is part of like the mystique, sort of like the legacy factor of this. And they, if they just keep going on for, you know, forever, um, I don't know. I feel like it sort of loses a, a little bit of that, uh, you know, special fairy dust, if, if you will. So, I don't know if, if if I'm a huge fan of that. And then also on top of that, I don't know if I'd want to go see one of these concerts. Um, you know, a, a part of going to a, a live concert is hearing something that you typically don't on the album or how it's played on the radio. For example, if one of the guitarists or if Gene Simmons on bass is suddenly going into a solo, it's I, I hope it's something different than you hear... On, you know the radio or on the album i think you know hearing those imperfections or those special moments or whatever it may be is sort of the beauty of going to a concert and if these are just going to be avatars up there playing stuff straight from the album i don't really buy it i can easily just go on youtube and watch you know a million concerts that these guys have done for the last 50 years so Um, maybe I'm just being really pessimistic and potentially negative about this, but I just don't think I buy this quite yet. Grant, Rum, do you guys have any thoughts on this at all? Go first. Yeah.
3: You know, Jeff, I wish that I could make things interesting and say oh i have a different opinion i think the opposite way but i i absolutely agree with you i'm not a fan of this at all i think that especially for me you know going to a concert just for the sake of going to a concert like oftentimes the acoustics inside you know a venue like they're not as good as you know listening to your your album on your nice speakers whatever so the reason we go to concerts is for that humanity that that the imperfection that maybe they'll try something different that you can say like, Whoa, this was an amazing moment at the concert, the interacting with, you know, the fans, just interacting with the audience, just really some authenticity. And I don't feel that paying for the experience to go and see an avatar, you know, doing its thing and doing it exactly the same way that it's already been done without every, any new creative elements yeah that just doesn't do it for me and i i part of what i was thinking is i admire actually the music industry for finding new ways to kind of earn some revenue make some rummy some some money uh ramia but i just i personally am not sure i really buy this curious about your thoughts
1: Pointed out um both of you have pointed out things that have not come up on our conversation on Wednesday and even Tuesday morning on Now with Dave Brown when this came up on the roundtable. And I really appreciate the points that you're making, especially, Grant, about what a live concert means, right? And, you know, going into the pandemic and through the pandemic when it was really, really rough with all the social isolating and um, never having a concert in sight, like... People who love these kind of gatherings, gathering around music, going to see choirs, going to the theater, we were so, so deprived. Uh, I remember the first concert I went to, I was so excited, and it wasn't even a big one. It was um, Jasmine Sullivan at uh, History here in Toronto, and it was a reasonably small venue. It was a standing concert, just a couple hours but i was so excited going in and i was so overwhelmed by how the energy made me feel to be there present with a bunch of people listening to somebody sing live perform live actual musicians and just that you know energy around us that when i went home i was exhausted cuz it felt like for years we didn't have that and that just can't be replicated with some like something like this um especially if we're thinking of how exactly something like this is going to come out. Is it just we go to a theatre and we check out a show? Or are we actually going to a concert venue? Is it going to really try to replicate that for us? I don't know, but I do think that there's going to be so much scepticism going in. I'm not sure if, if it's just that... If you're a super fan, you would love this. Or mm-hmm. at home, it's just a kind of a basic option for you to keep in touch with the band uh, and just never let it die, you know, as as it points to the legacy side of things. But it is interesting to think about. Um, on Wednesday's show, as we continue on through the <laughs> pretty much the entire lineup, financial <laughs> advisor Ryan Chin spoke to us about seeking financial advice from a professional. And here he is explaining why you'd want to talk to an advisor period why this should be an option for you
8: so sometimes you know folks are you know they they've overextended themselves you know now they're in a debt position i mean hey for example i had a a a, a client call me up last week and and a young couple and they said look ryan i'm in a i'm in a mountain of debt we you know we're just just starting to get together here. And, and, uh, you know, my fiance and I were, we're having a little difficulty. We're going to have to move back home. And we just want someone to help us, um, you know, make some good financial decisions mm. so that we can, uh, one day buy a house. I mean, that's, that's absolutely one reason. Other reasons could be, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there's been a death in the family, there's an inheritance. So some of money is being paid out to you. And you just want some help as to know what to do with it. I mean, could be you maybe you just got laid off, maybe you just got a new job. I mean, there it really is very personal as to why you would want to seek financial advice.
1: All the above or none of the above. I mean, we all come from very, very um, different set of experiences when it comes to money, uh, how it was talked about in your household, how your parents individually or together handled money, how it was talked about with you, whether or not it was brought up in school, whether or not you actually cared. Um, You know, he at one point kind of hinted on that, like, abundance mindset or scarcity mindset. Maybe it's the the lifestyle and the neighborhoods and the circumstances that way. Um, maybe generationally, you know, certain kind of priorities have been passed down to you because of experiences that your parents or caregivers or a generation before that had. I think that there's just so much that comes with the bag and baggages of money conversations. And for me... I mean, I don't, I don't think I came up with a, a great idea of money, whether it be handling or saving or spending, uh, and even just conversations around money were so weird, I don't know, just not normalized. So when I first started talking to a financial advisor, which is quite recent, uh, like two years ago or so, I thought that this felt like a clean start. You know, a lot of the biases that I had around debt or debt repayment or, you know, is it too late? Is it never too late? All these things just reassurance in general. And I think that that kind of thing, talking to a professional and having someone who can be on your side and who obviously knows more than I do is very, very helpful. Um, I don't think that this is something that a lot of us turn to even now, regardless of age or experience or any of that other stuff I mentioned, but we should be. And I don't think it's the same to go to something on the internet or go to your uh, bank I think it's very different to build a relationship with someone around money and that someone not necessarily being our parents. Jeff?
6: Yeah. Yeah, this is, I feel like the more I listen to Ryan's segments, the more I feel like I should go seek some financial advice. He pointed out some really good reasons, you know, whether you have a job, you, you just lost your job. In my instance, you know, I, we just had a kid, um, right. and Aaron's on Matt leave and that brings in a whole new um, you know a, a, a whole new angle to the finances in our family. So I'll be honest, I've never seeked financial advice from from anybody really aside from just family um, and, and people that are, are close to me. but now every segment I'm telling you it, it sort of makes me think twice as to you know what is there a better way of doing things and maybe a non-biased way of doing things? Mm.
1: Right? Not sure yeah. if you want to comment on this or move to yours. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's really frustrating to feel like you you, and the banks, the systems are not in a fair equal position because you're not in a position where you can draw up a contract. Your Your bank is the one that does that. And you're not in the position where you could just say like, Yo, you know what? I'm going to lend you five thousand dollars. You can pay it back in, you know, five years with some interest. Like, I'm just not in that kind of position where I could do that. The bank is, and you know what? If it doesn't work out, oh, whatever. You know, we got uh, a lot of other fish to fry. We got plenty of money still. You know, but as as an individual, I feel that. I'm not in that equal position, and plus, there's the whole concept of like financial literacy. Like, it's one thing just to be smart with your money, and you know mm-hmm. what, I'm going to try and not rack up some credit card debt. Uh, but also, uh, the idea about what do we do with our money? Like, what are the best investments? Is is it best to do RRSP, RDSP, kind of? Uh, Know, even them out a little bit? Is my bank paying me a fair interest rate? There's, there's so much to think about. And especially uh, as someone who knows that we may be a little bit more vulnerable in the workforce, in the business world than some other people. And how do we align our savings in such a way that it's not going to be a risk? So this is something that I've wanted to do for a long time to go and see a financial advisor, uh, Ramya. I think you're. You mentioned you're the the only one who uh, maybe has done that, and it's led you to question some of your biases. So, have you felt that that's been helpful, like re- really beneficial at, at at the end of the day, that yeah, you feel like nearly. you have some direction?
1: Definitely. And it's because, you know, no matter how good, like let's say you were in the best of circumstances and your parents were transparent about money and you have such great habits with saving and spending and all this other stuff, you still have insecurities, right? You still have insecurities about the market or things like this go on where everything's expensive, you can't even afford groceries and you wonder like, what should I do? Should I be doing something differently? And it's um, just so... Helpful to have someone to turn to that isn't that has more information or insight on things than you do. So as you said, Jeffy, like these monthly conversations alone offer so much of that support for people who are listening, like us. Uh, Jeff Grant, thank you for cut for time. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course.
6: Happy Friday, guys, and I'll chat with you guys on Monday.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Looking forward to that new and improved description of fish flops. Grant and I will be back after the break to wrap the show up with you. We've got some content uh, we'd love you to check out over the weekend, so we'll be back with that.
2: We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break.
1: We are nearing the end of our time together just for today's episode of Kelly and Ramia, Grant Hardy and myself, Ramia Amathan. we've been hanging out together and we've been joined by a lot of wonderful contributors who usually join us on Fridays. If you want to revisit the show, go to your favorite podcast platform. You can find us there in full show format as well as in segment form, so you can share it as well. And uh, we always love new subscribers, so welcome to the show. And... Over the weekend, there's a lot of other stuff going on on AMI-TV, on AMI-audio. So here are some teasers and options for you to check out over the weekend on the network. You can join AMI-audio as we attend the International uh, Persons with Disabilities Conference on Saturday. And this is hosted by Juita Gupta, host of The Pulse. The conference features keynote speakers and panel discussions. The International Persons, or I I don't know why it's written like this, but I feel like it's the International Day of Persons with Disabilities uh, Day Conference, airs at 1 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio, and then, of course, it repeats every eight hours after that. So check it
5: out.
3: Plus, join outdoors enthusiast Ron Walsh as he and his friends explore the exciting locations Saskatchewan offers in the Blind Adventures. Uh, again, that's with Ron Walsh, uh, Sunday on AMI-tv. And this week, Ron seeks out Métis history, uncovering the path to Henry Dumont's lost cabin and its possible connection to Gabrielle Dumont's hideout and legendary escape from Canada. Again, Blind Adventures mm-hmm. with Ron Walsh airs Sundays at 8 AM Eastern on AMI TV.
1: And of course we can now throw everybody over to the AMI Plus uh platform as well and the AMI app cuz everything's available on demand over there. It, cool stuff coming up over the weekend and Grant it's obviously almost a week since the IDPD the International Day of Persons with Disabilities but clearly we're still recognizing and there's still a lot of events and initiatives going on around the country that people can uh, tune into, participate in and keep the momentum going
3: fantastic. I feel like it's maybe getting a little bit uh, better represented well mm. well known on the as the years go by so that's great.
1: yeah, various angles, various groups and a lot of different types of um, I guess advocacy and recognition going on. Okay, so I've been bringing these for when it's my turn to pick the closing moments I've been bringing these <laughs> interesting strange unofficial holidays. Today's is talk like a pirate day. That is to say, this is not celebrated today. It is actually celebrated on September 19th. So, Oregon pals John Old Chum Bucket Bar and Mark Cap'n Slappy Southerns <laughs> created <laughs> created Talk Like a Pirate Day on June 6, 1995. But after, for reasons they don't quite recall, they started using pirate speak during a game of racquetball. And out of respect for the fact that June 6th is actually the anniversary of D-Day, they said, hmm, let's choose another day. So they chose September 19th, the birthday of Summer's ex-wife, as Talk Like a Pirate Day. So for seven years, they say, we celebrated International Talk Like a Pirate Day pretty much on our own with our friend uh, Ryan. But then he actually reminded us that the event was coming up, and Bowen Summer's wrote on their holiday's official website. So in 2022, no, my bad, in 2002, they reached out to humor columnist Dave Barry to share the tradition, and he wrote a piece about it. Talk Like a Pirate Day is now a big cult following with lots of people taking part. That's it. Talk Like a Pirate today so you can be ready for next September 19th.
3: Good to know. I'll put it on my calendar.
1: (laughs) All right. Good, Grant. I know uh, Kelly refers to you as Grant Mehardy, so you already got this covered. On Monday's show, Kelly and Ramia join us back. We've got Mind Your Own Business uh, talk for you because it's returning and on AMI TV, so we got guests coming our way there.
3: Plus, on Know Your Rights, Danielle McLaughlin speaks with the Honourable Francis P. Kitley about a project that involves Afghan women judges who are now living in Canada.
1: That's it. Catch you Monday. Hosts Kelly McDonald and Ramia Amadin
9: Reporter, Grant Hardy.
1: Senior show producer, Jeff Ryman. Visual producer, Megan McGrath. Producer, Marianne Dion Jones.
9: Graphics, Andrew Antonello. Production assistant, Kingsley Juco.
1: Control room operators, Daniel Penamondo, Eliza Rocco, Parker Oxtoby.
2: Director, Irene Solomon.
1: Manager of Live Production, Paula Deneen.
2: Manager of Operations, Kyle Harper.
1: Manager of AMI Audio, Andy Frank.
2: Director of
9: TV Production, Karen Nye.
1: Vice President, Content Development and Production, John Melville.
9: President and CEO, David Arrington.
1: Give us your feedback. 1 866 509 4545.
9: Copyright 2023, Accessible Media, Inc.
1: I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI Podcast, Tripping On Air.